0: Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know. But I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So, if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. Available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future.
1: Hi
0: and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike and of course I'm here with Nick.
1: It's been a long, hot, rainy, sweaty day, but I'm so happy to finally be here with you.
0: (laughs) It's funny because that's what I was going to talk to you about. You know how we always have that personal banter in the very beginning was, holy crap, how are we surviving this rainy season?
1: It, you know, it took a, it took a brief pause, you know, for a few days, which I was thankful for, but It's definitely been wet. It's been wetter than I can ever remember. We're now into almost, I think technically we're into summer. And it's still wet.
0: It's very wet here. Uh, For those listeners who don't know, we live in Michigan. And apparently it's April here because it has rained and rained hard. Matter of fact, I was just recording a short that will come out later talking about weird weather. And I was recording it during a massive rainstorm with a tornado warning so that was pretty fitting
1: yeah the irony is that you're right it's raining like it's april but it feels like it's florida
0: oh Uh, it's 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 so humid the humidity i keep telling the wife that a long time ago i read a book about climate change and it talked about the different regions and they claimed that michigan would be much like florida that it would kind of revert back and create this jungle type atmosphere and i said if that ever happens we're out of here thank goodness we've already started a plan to work our way to hawaii because it's starting to feel like florida
1: yeah it's nasty i walked outside and within five minutes i was drenched in sweat and then oh to make matters worse so it's really humid and it's it's real wet and it's gross and and because it's so humid it kind of stinks outside never actually doesn't have that good spring smell and I walked out of the grocery store, and it was like someone was raining sweat on me. It was a warm rain <laughs> in the middle of a humid day, and I felt like forest scum. It was terrible. I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, it's nasty, warm rain. I don't know if I'd prefer fat rain, hot rain, rain that came in from the side, or rain that comes straight up. And my wife just looked at me, but she knew I meant it because it was gross. It was disgusting.
0: <laughs> it is, well, but there is one good thing about all of this rain. Anybody who's been watching the Greening Your Life Facebook page, my garden is bigger than me. I have plants that I continuously have to go out day in and day out and trim the heck out of. We've already pulled or picked. I've been told not to use pulled anymore. I've been using it in the shows. I have already picked more than 10 squash. And we're getting to a point where it's already becoming challenging to use them all.
1: Why is pulling... Bad
0: phrase. Uh, I will say a family member has said, I don't know what that means. Because I always talk about pulling vegetables, pulling them from the garden. They said the word is pick. You're supposed to pick things from a garden. So I'm trying to make that change.
1: Okay. Well, then from now on, when you speak to that family member, you tell them when they go to the grocery store, I want them to pick things from the shelves. And pull them from the shelves. <laughs> that's only- the one.
0: That's how I know that the show gets listened to. Is that I get these little comments here and there from other people, so I'm okay with it as long as they're listening. I'll take the feedback.
1: I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an incorrect use of the word, just because I mean you did grasp the piece of fruit and and pulled on it to take it off the plant. It wasn't like you whistled and they came running to the porch. Um, <laughs> but also, I want I want this to be very clear. I said fruit. That's right. Summer squash is a fruit.
0: Oh, I right get all whatever. that stuff mixed up. I'm pretty sure tomato is a berry. Like, there's all kinds of different categories that I don't think things fit into.
1: It berries a fruit, bud.
0: Yep. So, so it has... Oh, this weather has absolutely supercharged. I mean, granted, I have pretty good soil to begin with, but it has absolutely supercharged that that garden. I've got peppers we've already picked and put in food. We've got things coming out left and right, plus the city gardens all the edible landscape project plants are doing freaking great. That's awesome. You've got uh, so far people are harvesting green beans, lettuce, kale, strawberries, uh, cucumbers, zucchini, squash. And this is just stuff I've, I'm seeing people take so far. So we, there's a pumpkin out there. That's like the size of my like chest. It is huge. So the rain does have a good reason, but I'm starting to feel like it's a, a part of the Crow movie. I just feel like it can't rain all the time.
1: <laughs> well, um, in that movie, a lot of people get shot. So we're going to hope that doesn't happen. And yeah, no, I agree. It is raining way, way too much. I will say one more note about your garden. The last time I was over, you picked, pulled, cut, removed, trimmed, however you want to use it, a bunch of uh, pieces of green from your your garden you know some we're having picked you know we're already wilted some were fresh clippings my turtles destroyed those i mean i sent you a picture of like as soon as i put it in there biting not it. it was gone that night like all of it
0: well there's more that that's that's from the lettuce and spinach and there's always a little bit that kind of wilts off to the side and i usually just let it hit the soil it's not a big deal but if it can be eaten and be used we, we will continue every time you come over, collect it all up. So if they like it, let's get it to them.
1: I dumped the one. I dumped so much in the one tank. You could hardly even see water. Just completely covered it like it was a swamp. Within an hour, it was almost gone. Like they just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. And it's way better than they're, it really is better for them than the food they normally get. They're starting to get pyramiding, which is the scoots, which the the scales of the on uh, turtle shell are actually called scoots. And when when they start to deform, instead of having a nice smooth shell, they start to get you know pointed like a pyramid. That means they're getting an unbalanced diet, they're getting too much protein, or they're getting food that is too rich for the age of the turtle. And my turtles are are past sexual maturity, so they're they're becoming adults. And so they need they need more greens, they need more fruits and vegetables and way less worms and all the good stuff they love.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's all right. We we've, we've got fruits and vegetables that we don't have to. I don't know. They might like cherry tomatoes. Those those are already starting to mature also. So
1: I don't know about tomatoes. I have to make sure they can have the acid content.
0: Gotcha. Well, so I wanted to talk about the rain thing. But what I really wrote down as our early banter before the show is that pipeline burst that I showed you in the Gulf of Mexico that seemed to turn our Gulf of Mexico into Cirron's Eye. Yeah. Remember that we were watching that? You and I were camping, and of course, as I see this I come across my phone in the news, I show you. Uh-huh. So, so apparently they've got that resolved, but what
1: in the heck was that? Uh, that was a reason why you don't do something. It was I mean, it was a perfect example of why you don't do what they did.
0: And for any listener who hasn't seen this, and if you haven't, you probably did see it and thought it was a hoax or a joke. A oil pipe, a petroleum pipe burst in the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico and somehow ignited, turning... The fire was coming up through the water, which is not intuitive to me at times. But So as this oil pushed up, because, of course, oil and, and water don't mix... Parts of it were f- on fire, creating what I still believe looks like Suron's eye. From am I saying that right? From the Lord of the Rings.
1: It's Sauron. I wasn't gonna um wasn't gonna correct you, but really, yeah. Uh,
0: well, well, you should on that one. But it's
1: uh, Lord of it. Listen. If I if I pick a fight with every person that messes up a pop culture reference, we'll be here all day.
0: <laughs> so that's what I originally wanted to talk about. That was an amazingly terrible event.
1: Yeah. um, It's it's sad when something is spectacular and in scale or grandiose in scale, but in the negative connotation, it's terrible that we even have to have this conversation that that kind of stuff shouldn't even be happening in today's day and age. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I want people to have fuel. I want people to to be able to heat their homes and stuff. I just don't think we should be running those types of pipelines through water, through huge bodies of water that are teeming with wildlife and that are on. You know, I can't imagine the amount of species that go through there on yearly cycles for migrating and, and, you know, reproduction purposes. It's all messed up now. Everything's going to have to be clean. It's going to take years. Well, and the reason why I wanted to bring that up, because that actually will
0: kind of move us into our topic today, which was I want to talk about what the future electrical grid should look like. Now, do we necessarily know 100%? No. Because there's still people fighting over what that grid, electrical grid, should look like and the, food, and the feedstocks that will go into it. But uh, sometimes it, we want to talk about it just so people are aware. And so as they see little changes, it doesn't alert them as a negative or, you know, become scary because they do it one little piece at a time, mainly because they have to. But it always causes some kind of Bill Gates conspiracy. So let's just talk about it.
1: I agree. Let's talk about it. And I'm going to preface this topic with two things, something I haven't said in a long time. It's an oldie, but a goodie. So I'm bringing it back around. And the other thing is that people don't know or the average person probably doesn't know or isn't aware of that our, our current grid is a production on demand system. There's no fail safe. There's no real way for them to build up a supply of energy. They don't have any real energy stores. So that's why they send those notices out in the mail during what will be the, you know, the hot parts of the year or the super cold parts of the year. They tell you that the rates are going to go up because they need to try to meet the production for the demand and they can't always do that now to pigeonhole into my favorite statement people fear what they don't understand i kind of knew that was the one i knew it he had to know it people don't understand the concept of a new grid that's different than what they already have they don't even understand the grid they already have people fear what they don't understand and i'm not i'm not insinuating that people aren't intelligent or that they're stupid I i don't think anything like that i think every person is intelligent i just think that when there's a lack of obvious literature or a lack of reasons in your day-to-day life to educate yourself, you tend just to take things for granted. And our energy grids are, even heck, even our plumbing, any bit of our infrastructure is taken for granted by most of the people that utilize it. And when you take things for granted, you don't take the time to really develop an appreciation for, you know, for how they work, what keeps them going. And energy grid is uh, one of those things. So when people start spouting off about future grid, when we do need a system that is designed better, so it can meet the needs and requirements of our day-to-day life. But also if there's any type of a you know disaster, if something terrible happens and knocks out, like what if the big production plants that do most of the power burn all the coal? What if a huge tornado hits them? This is Michigan. Like what if that happens?
0: People tend to forget how brittle our system is on that on-demand that you're talking about. Because remember, a lot of times there's coal as a feedstock, natural gas, nuclear, There is no turning up and down a nuclear plant. There is no real turning up and down a coal plant. The very few that we have that can be dialed up and down a little bit is like a natural gas. You burn a little more and turn the turbine a little quicker. Most of that stuff is running at a standard rate or we start turning it down and shutting down different ovens within the system. But it's very difficult, and everybody's heard me talk about in the UK where they have to buy energy from France during the first commercial of the most popular show because everybody turns on a kettle at the same time. It's very, very difficult to balance a grid, especially through anticipation. And that's what we do. We track everybody's use, and then we anticipate it. Our current grid... Like, hasn't been truly updated. And I know, yes, there is some different technologies out there. I don't need the emails telling me it's not exactly the same. But really, the technology hasn't changed much since Tesla and Edison used to fight about it. It is an old, old, brittle grid and can be taken out with ease. Honestly, squirrels can do it. Solar flares can do it. And they take out whole regions with cascading failures. So that's the first things first, understand that what we have doesn't work anymore. It's not going to, it's not going to function in a society that requires electricity. And I don't care who you are. 99% of the people who are in our country, at least, and I'm assuming others need electricity. We've, we've become dependent on our electricity. We'd all like to think that if the power went out, we would be just fine. But going into that second month, you're going to feel very, very different. So looking at the current grid did you know that there's three grids connected together in the United States
1: um like master grids like i mean like i i honestly did not know that i knew there was something like that but i also know that they're they're broke down into smaller areas because there's lots of times where half the houses on one block will lose all power and another half are fine yeah so. there's
0: different switch grids like that where they try to trigger a block if you will so it doesn't cascade any further so you'll have segments of areas that go out they'll have to go in and fix them because really there's only one or two lines in and out of that area well the united states consider the united states split in half but don't count texas you have an eastern grid that is and a western grid Along, okay. with, along with a Texas grid. That's why I always say the only state that could actually leave currently from the United States is Texas. It has its own grid. In the past, California talked about leaving the United States, and I never even once considered it because they'd have to do it in the dark. Yeah. They don't have their own grid. So really, Texas is the only place that could leave, although it doesn't make sense for them to do so. Now, knowing that the old grid is this brittle. A future grid has to be durable. It has to be resilient, especially with climate change, changing weather. There's not a lot of gray area now. We're going to get catastrophic attacks on just about everything from the weather. I mean, at this point, we've got tornadoes going as far down as Alabama. We're coming into hurricane season. We know there's been flood after flood after flood. Grid has to withstand those things. And if there is failures, they have to be isolated into very small areas. Okay, so, yeah. when we, so when we talk about the, the next grid, we've talked about in the past micro grids or you know, micro smart grids. That's what these will have to be. These, these micro grids will be town by town or even section of town or block by block where they have their own grid for each individual section. The cool thing about that is, is that it can allow inputs. So if you have solar panels on your house or I have a little wind turbine in my backyard... It can be added into the grid from anywhere and still be conditioned just fine and be shared throughout the neighborhood so that consumers doesn't have to always produce the the exact amount needed. They well, can just make up the difference.
1: Absolutely. And then also, you know, they have people in their pocketbooks when people do off or have that kind of stuff. It it helps. It, it helps with their bill. You know, it, it lessens their usage. It kind of counterbalances what they're actually using up. So. It's, uh, it's something to look at for most people. I wish I could afford to do solar. I would do my whole roof in solar if I could.
0: Well, I think I recently posted on my personal Facebook account a tweet from someone who worked, for, from someone who worked in the industry, in the energy industry talking about solar and said the biggest problem is there's times where you collect too much and then you end up turning the meter backwards, which I find it funny because he called it a problem.
1: It's also a problem because he doesn't want people not to be spending money. He wants them to spend money visiting the industry. And if you're turning the meter backwards, that means that the consumer is essentially is paying you. Right. And so
0: the future grid is going to require inputs from all over the place, from all of us. We're going to, you know, you've heard me talk about when it comes to energy in the home, there's two things. You have to reduce and you have to produce. So if you're producing and then you're spending a lot of time you know, insulating the home, looking for reductions, when you do replace an appliance, you do it with a high efficiency, and you start bringing that that usage down and start mm-hmm. bringing that production up, that's how this grid is going to function. It's going to balance those and reduce your bill. That's, that's the purpose, so that there's less of a draw from the energy provider. And that's what a lot of people, I think don't quite understand. And that a lot of people in those industries fear because they don't necessarily get to charge a lot for what's going on. Another thing that people are scared of is I'm going to say this with an understanding that it might be misconstrued at first. That grid requires machine learning. So when you get a smart meter on your home, it starts to communicate with everything else in your house. And that scares people, I assume, because of movies in the past and different ideas. But what this is doing is creating efficiencies. If I want coffee in the morning and I was going to program it anyways, this thing will start to learn that I need coffee at a certain time and it will give it to me just before I need it. It will start the the dryer a little bit later when it's cheaper.
1: Well, this goes back to the same thing about people not wanting to be. Um, well, essentially, it's it's people don't understand how these kinds of things work. So they're I don't want to be a lawyer or I don't want to be recorded, but they've had these smartphones in their pocket and on their ear for almost a decade now. All the information's there, the technology's there to utilize what we want it or need it to do. Just because something has a negative connotation or has the the possible potential of being used in a bad way doesn't mean it will be. And personally for me, I wish I could afford to, you know, go through and like techno redo my whole house. That'd be amazing.
0: Well, so what you're doing is you're creating these efficiencies Mm -hmm. at at a very small scale to offset so you're not using as much so that you don't worry about the consumption side. And I'll tell you right now, now that you've said a couple of things about smart devices, about having that cell phone in your pocket. I know in most cases, we're preaching to the choir. Most of our listeners are sustainability minded. But if someone is trying to convince you that a smart home or smart system that reduces energy is bad. That is either A, fully misguided, because they're probably telling you online from their cell phone, the one thing that does have full tracking. Even if you turn it off and say you don't track, that just means you don't get the services. Doesn't mean that Google or Facebook or the rest of them aren't using it. Correct. Or they're trying to manipulate you in some way. Because chances are, I think everybody pretty much knows. Well, if you're using a cell phone, every time you check a box on a service agreement, you're signing off a heck of a lot more than just let me get past this so I can use my app.
1: That's actually, you're actually completely right. You'd be amazed if you read what those things entail.
0: So smart meters themselves are extremely helpful and allow us to connect in a lot of different ways. It's just that you're going to hear doom and gloom, scary and all that stuff. Don't allow it understand that whoever is doing that is doing it purely for manipulation. Absolutely. So another thing that we're going to see that we're not used to is battery storage, Mm -hmm. Um, which I have mixed emotions on battery because of lithium mining and some other things. But what you're going to start seeing is one of two things or possibly both. Tesla, for example, has the Powerwall, a unit that can be put in your home and run your house for several days on just batteries. So if the power goes out, you don't necessarily notice. It takes it takes a while before it's actually gone for you. So any of these brief blinks or it's out for two hours, you don't know the difference. Another thing that I'm seeing from MIT is that they're talking about that when so many people are using electric cars, that the electrical grid on a smart system will start drawing from the cars all over the all over the U.S. So if the power goes out on production for any reason, it can take. The other sources that the homes are bringing in, you know, wind or solar, along with the storage from vehicles to keep houses running. No, then that's a that's a unique concept because that means you have battery storage without the it's a dual purpose battery storage. It's your vehicle, but it's also kind of supplying the homes, too.
1: Well, that's a wonderful idea. And in, in an ideal world, that would be programmable. That way you would have, let's say, you want to save enough power that could get you to the hospital if something terrible happened while you were at home. And then everything above that would be just you know, rerouted to the house.
0: Well, and I think it, the MIT report that I had read was they were going to set it up so it would use the first 50% of juice. So if you've got a vehicle that, that gets 230 miles on a charge during a catastrophic event with electricity... Mm-hmm. you're still going to have over a hundred miles of use in your vehicle. So it is a unique concept. I don't know if that's the direction a full blown smart future grid will go in, but it is, un- that is a way to help minimize. So for example, if just, it, just Duran lost power because we're using smart microgrids, grids small town or small city, it, it probably wouldn't take more than one, maybe two. If we lost one of them, that power would be compensated by the surrounding area huh. and its ve- and its vehicles absolutely if, if need be. That is one of the things that is important to understand is how those can function. The other is feedstocks. You're right. We, can, we have to produce the exact amount we need on a regular basis. There is no storage. there is we have some storage. there's physical storage. sometimes when we have too much electricity, we pump water up a hill into old coal mines that are in mountains. And in worst case scenario, they let that water run back down through a turbine. That is storage because you're using energy that you're, that you're going to recover back later, but that's it's, not, it's that's, a physical
1: storage. That's I think calling it storage is a, a loophole phrase. I mean, technically you're it's not, you're storing water. You're not storing energy. Energy is produced when the water returns. It's a, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how i call that storage. It's weird to me.
0: It, what you're doing is you're moving, you're using kinetic energy, you're, you're using electrical energy to create a potential kinetic. So you're pumping it up a hill so later you can let, it, let gravity run it back down and, through your turbine. At a, at a huge loss, by the way. A very uh, big loss.
1: Yeah, I don't doubt it. Currently,
0: most regions are either coal, natural gas, oil, and nuclear. With a little bit of burning wood, a little bit of biofuels, little solar, little wind. That's not what the future grid can be. It simply can't. We have, There's too much emissions in any of that stuff. It's going to have to change. And what we're going to see is a lot of wind, solar, hydro, and tidal. And there's a lot of discussion about using the water systems and all the, the lines in the cities to create a hydrogen fuel system Mm -hmm. so when you have way too much electricity which you will in some cases you'll desalinize water so you have this fresh water and you'll use a very large amount of electricity because it's what it takes for electrolysis on this water to separate the hydrogen and the oxygen that can later it's stored that way so later that it can be used for hydrogen fuel but that is an on-demand of system so Mm. When you have low points in a lot of other uh, systems, you can turn on these hydrogen fuel systems that will help make up the difference. And then you still have a large grid functioning on clean service because even though you use a lot to desalinate, you use a lot to separate the molecules of water, mm-hmm. it's all coming from clean sources. So it is a it, it is a complex concept to be able to balance all of these inconsistent sources and that's where machine learning really has to step in it's not ai it doesn't get to make a decision what it's going to do is continue the probability numbers so that it continues to anticipate better and better and better so it knows when we're about to have too much it knows when summer's coming you know it knows that during the later winter months we really start to struggle and we have to have an abundance of fuels Help mm-hmm. us. That is what we're seeing kind of taking the lead in a lot of the professional side. I will not say in the energy sector. I will say on the scientific side. OK, research is leaning towards this right now. What you're seeing from companies is a slow change, but they want to stay with fossil fuels.
1: So dragging their feet. Gotcha.
0: Well, they—that's where the natu- uh, the natural gas rollout. Michigan just rolled out a
1: huge
0: natural natural gas network, and they call it clean clean natural gas because it has different emissions. It has less burning emissions than coal, and I say less burning emissions than coal because it itself is a greenhouse gas. So, what, so what happens is—is is they do this huge rollout on natural gas. Because they say, and they can they can honestly say, it burns cleaner than coal. What they don't realize, and I think they do, but what they don't say is almost every collection site leaks. So when you have methane or natural gas like that, it is a 7 to 10 times greater greenhouse gas than than carbon was when it was burned. Absolutely. So all you have is these little leaks all over the place making it that much worse. Plus all the embodied energy to build out the network when it's really a stopgap to what we need in the future
1: well that but if it's if it, they all leak so not only maybe maybe it is a little more efficient the way it burns but if it's leaking they are going to have to burn more of it anyways
0: well and and again it's creating more emissions just leaking it just existing so now here's the big argument what does it cost to fix the grid And I don't mean, from this point going forward, when I say fix the grid, I'm not saying put it back to its original state because we don't need 1920s technology. I mean, what does it mean or what does it take to create a national, robust, smart grid? So I started looking it up. In the United States, first of all, so everybody knows, it is infrastructure. When they talk about infrastructure bills not including electricity, because that's not quote unquote infrastructure, it certainly is. So is internet, so is roads, so are bridges, so you know, so on and so forth. If mm-hmm. it's what it if it, what it take to run our country, it's infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It, the estimated cost to upgrade/slash fix the United States' infrastructure system for energy is four point five to five trillion dollars.
1: Jeez, that's a lot of money.
0: That is a complete ground-up redesign with clean sources.
1: Yeah, but I mean, let's be real about that. That that couldn't possibly all be done at one time. They'd have to pick the easiest sections to do piece by piece by piece. If nothing else, they'd have to do small sections to make sure that the science and the numbers and the mathematics are right and it actually is going to stand up and work. So as the it's being redesigned and rebuilt and replaced. It's also gonna be having the bugs and kinks worked out of it because I guarantee they're gonna make a mistake and the first grid they put up is gonna oopsie in the middle of storm season.
0: Yeah, there's it, gonna it, be it has to go up in pieces. You're right. You cannot just roll out a national infrastructure like that. That's why a lot of these are considered to be projected over ten years. Which 10 years. I still
1: think it's pretty quick. But I think ten years is pretty Pretty ridiculous for the entire country, and I mean, normally I'm all about doing things fast, but we're talking about 330 million people and utilities that support them. But we're not, but we're not just talking about houses. People need to really think about that. We're not just talking about houses or barns or restaurants. We're talking about hospitals, state buildings, assisted living facilities. There is a huge amount of our population that really depend on a a reliable grid. And not and I don't mean like, oh, you like to play your Xbox. I mean the power goes out, their oxygen stops pumping, and they die. So yeah. then those are the places they should really I mean, I don't know if I'd start there, but I once they got it, you know, kind of worked out to be a little more efficient, I think that's where I'd go first. I don't think it really matters if Sally on Brussels Sprout Avenue has more efficient power when you have five hundred senior citizens in the hospital that need to have, you know, dialysis and everything else. You say Brussels Sprout Avenue. I did. <laughs> I did say that. That seems very
0: Hasbro, like life kind of names. But so, so when you have those kinds of costs, people immediately freak out, especially when it comes to politics, which I think are the least useful people in this conversation. But in any you
1: conversation,
0: also, you also have to look at what is lost by not doing it. We're going to skip catastrophic failures, apocalyptic, you know, issues, the loss of life, or making it easy for terrorist attacks, or possibly just wildlife taking out large regions of our country. Well, all that aside, every time there's a power outage, it costs money. It costs money to repair it. It costs money for the for the pieces to put in to replace. It costs money for the workers. It costs money for residents. It is estimated that over $150 billion is spent by residents from damage due to outages, from basement damage, from water floods, to food left in the fridge. That every year, residents spend one or $150 billion wow.
1: because we have
0: so many outages. So there's that. There's also the, the 2013 White House report, and what it stated was the economy the economy loses 18 to 23 billion dollars annually just in power outages that is when mm-hmm. commerce does not function
1: yeah i guess i agree with that i don't i don't i don't know the not, i'm not familiar with the mathematics on it but it makes sense but on the flip side though so i don't know i don't know michael i think that commerce may um may halt in some places you obviously can't go to the local diner if there's no power but if you have a flood you're definitely going to the hardware store the f-
0: The Federal report shows that that is the that is the window of cost that in one year our economy suffers a hit from eighteen to twenty three billion and now, with the addition to superstorms, so they used Katrina as an example
1: mm-hmm. how,
0: how that affects the economy, the assumption that they're showing, and their reporting was in the two the the twenty twenties and later, so mm-hmm. we're kinda in it. That with superstorms approaching more and more often, it will be more like 40 to 75 billion dollars annually in losses to the economy.
1: Yeah, maybe, but you can't really use Katrina as a measuring stick. Katrina was extra bad, Katrina was terrible. Not every superstorm is going to do that. Every superstorm is going to completely flood an entire huge city and wipe out a reasonable population
0: well actually what they're saying is we're going to see more of those with climate change we're going to see more superstorms more flooding mm-hmm. as you're seeing on the west coast with the fires they're getting bigger they're getting hotter and they're taking more and so what they're saying from that report is that the, the catastrophic events that we that we see are bigger stronger and more more deadly
1: okay that and that's sense. where they
0: that's where they're calculating this and this year think about this the, the floods that we've seen the the amount of damage that we've seen in the West coast right now, the amount of damage done in Texas in February from being so cold.
1: Yeah. All of these
0: things, all of these things accumulate to that cost. So, so what you're looking at is yes, it costs $5 trillion over the next 10 years, but you can start fixing those costs too. these, the cost to residents, the cost to the, you know, to citizens within the country and on top of all those financial things, how many people died because power went out in catastrophic events?
1: Yeah, that's terrible. That's a that's a big number, honestly. it's And it's, I don't know, that kind of stuff should put it into perspective for people how important this stuff really is.
0: Yeah, when it comes to electricity, it is life or death. It is vitally important for most residents. And I know there's a lot of people out there who says, nope, I could live off the land. I bet, I guarantee you long term is that's much more challenging than it sounds.
1: Even even no no like just take it take that idiot for what they say. Maybe they can live off the land. That's great. It's not about you, buster. For every person that's 35 and goes, "I can be a I can live off the land. I can be a lumberjack and use these hands to build me a new life." Can your 95-year-old grandma? No. <laughs> right. She can't.
0: We are a community. We function together and we are, we are citizens of countries all over the world that need to be thoughtful to others and not just ourselves. So that's absolutely true. And I know we cannot do a full blown analysis on a possible future grid in a half hour or 45 minutes. But oh, no. At least this gives everybody kind of an idea of what we're looking at for a grid in the future, the durability So when you get a call that says you're getting a smart meter or you have an opportunity to, and you're buying a new appliance, you look for not only the high efficiency, but something that can communicate with the grid over time. Mm -hmm. These are things that we have to be thoughtful with because it is in the long term going to be how our kids and their kids reduce consumption electrically. So that's all I have this week. Did you have anything else that you would like to point out?
1: I know I was not that prepared for this this week. I did as much reading as I could, but I couldn't really I couldn't I did not take the time to put together what I thought the possible future grid would be. But also, I don't really know the math and and the science behind it. I understand the concept. I know how to turn my power off and on. Um, And I also know how I know how much I don't know is a better way to explain that. So I (laughs) I don't have anything else to add.
0: Well, and a lot of the research when you're talking about future grid is not fun reading. It is it is simply not that fun to read because it's almost always research articles, either from China, the United States, or the EU. So it's a little dry at times, but hopefully everybody got something from this episode. We hope you'd enjoy it. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. If you want to support us in other ways, well, you can become a monthly supporter on the Anchor host site or simply just leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Those actually do help out quite a bit. It moves us up rankings, uh, which, by the way, and I, I showed you in Hungary, we were first and now we're holding study at third. How cool is that? So that's hi, awesome. And, hi, and thank you, all of you for listening. But it does help us when you leave those reviews because it really does move us up different charts. It does tell people it when they search sustainability, we start showing up. So thank you again. And just remember, we only have to get a little better each day. A little bit each day will give us a big bit in the long run. So thank you for listening. I'm Mike.
1: And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week.
0: Feeling overwhelmed by climate change?